we're picking back up in our study of the Sermon on the Mount. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Now, if you're looking, you'll notice we're actually going to finish chapter 6 today, which means we may finish chapter 7 before the end of the year. For those who haven't been with us, we've been in a study of the Sermon on the Mount since uh, January. We've been taking a little break here and there, but it's allowed us to be able to take some time looking at this key passage where Jesus has outlined for us what it means to be a follower of His, to be a citizen of God's kingdom. And as we're looking at what it means to be a citizen of God's kingdom, we've seen that, first off, it means that our heart has to have been transformed so that the things that we do aren't just about the externals and exterior obedience, but instead it's out of a heart that's been transformed. Now we live above and beyond even what the Old Testament law seemed to require, at least the way the Jews read it then. A lot of what we have talked about has been really difficult. It's been some hard-hitting stuff. Like I said, last week, we had to take a hard look at where we're storing up treasure. Are we living for passing success or are we living for God's permanent forever glory? As we looked at those kind of things, it's been really, really difficult. What I'm hoping that today will be, although it is still challenging, is I'm hoping that today is going to be encouraging. If you've noticed the title of the message already, it's What to Do with Worry. Now, as we're looking at this... um, Guys, I don't know about you, but there's a lot that we could be worried about right now. Probably more so than most seasons in life between the pandemic, the economy, the elections, all of the racial tension, all of these things that we're seeing in addition to everybody's normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill stress about money and about health and about family and relationships and future and all the things that you normally worry about, right? We've got all these new things that we've been able to add on that we need to worry about. So anxiety and depression seem to be at kind of an all-time high, and it feels like that we're at a tipping point as a society. So in the middle of this anxious world, let me first quickly say this. I understand and I want you to know that we acknowledge that depression and anxiety are often more complicated than just a, well, you should stop doing that and you should start feeling better, okay? We understand that there are times when anxiety and depression require additional medication, additional counseling, and additional therapy. So I don't want you to hear anything that we say today as dismissive of your battle with depression or anxiety. It's a real thing and it's really impacting a lot of people right now. However, in the midst of that, I do want to take some time and really lean into this because Jesus makes it very clear to us that a kingdom focus is one of the key tools that can help us kill worry. Now, last week, if you were with us, you remember we were talking about living for God's glory and we talked about how freeing that actually is. Because if you'll remember, we said that if I'm living for God's glory, I don't have to worry about my own reputation. I don't have to worry about me trying to make a name for myself or even really about what's going on in my future because I'm trusting God with all of those things. And and that's a very freeing way to live. We're going to build on that and, and call that kind of that kingdom focus. If I'm living for God and for His glory, then what I find is that is absolutely one of the critical keys to killing worry in my life. Now, Jesus is going to outline this for us. He's going to use some very clear examples, and we're going to talk about that as we go through. But go ahead and read the passage with me, because I just want us to look at that together, okay? Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. Some of you guys need to underline that. What you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you by add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Would you pray with me? God, you know I'm one who's prone to worry. I like to have things figured out. I like to have control. I like to know what's going on. So God, for my heart and for every other heart in this room or watching online, we ask that you would help us to see how focusing on you and your kingdom can kill the worry that plagues us so often. God, I pray that through what we say today that there might be somebody here who has battled with worry and battled with anxiety who will finally fully see who you are, what you do, and that today they would be able to find freedom from that. If there's somebody here who doesn't yet know you, somebody who's watching online who's never come to that point of of being drawn to you and putting their trust in you, would you draw them to yourself right now? Show them how incredible you are through what we see today. Speak to us now, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we're looking at what a kingdom focus does in in relationship to our battle with worry, we're going to basically see two main truths, two main reactions that we're supposed to have to be able to show how we can kill this worry, okay? The first way that we kill worry through a kingdom focus is, number one, to remember that God provides. Remember that God provides. Isn't that what he starts off with there in verse 26? Considering the birds of the sky, and then he goes on in verse 28, he talks, or excuse me, 20, yeah, excuse me, 28, where he talks about the flowers. As he, he looks at these two pictures, he's pr- reminding us that God provides for everything that he has made, okay? As we're unpacking this issue of worry, we're pointing to these natural realities, that God feeds birds and that God makes beautiful flowers. Now, those seem kind of strange at first, but let's think about that. Um, let's look at how God provides for the, for the birds. Now, first of all, notice that Jesus said they don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. So think about how God provides for these little guys, all right? How many of you have had any hummingbirds on your property? You guys have any hummingbirds? We put out a feeder, and we, we don't have any. When we were in Arkansas, we had one that used to come up to our front porch and, and eat at the feeder, and they're these crazy little creatures. They're super tiny, super light. Did you know that if we burned calories at the same rate that hummingbirds burn calories, we would need to take in 155,000 calories a day to be able to eat comparable, okay? That's probably even more calories than there are in the remaining cupcakes that we have out here on the table, right? 155,000. For those of you who are like, I have never paid attention to a calorie, I don't know what it is, um, Power lifters who are trying to add muscle mass as they're getting ready for competition, um, they may eat three to 4,000 calories a day, okay? 
Um, although I have watched some of you teenagers eat, and some of you dudes, you can pack away about 16,000 in a day. I don't know. But anyway, you cut it, these little tiny hummingbirds, if you and I were to eat comparably, it would be 155,000 calories. Yet, God provides for that. You know what's interesting about some of the hummingbirds? They actually make a 500-mile flight across the Gulf of Mexico during their migration. 500 miles that they fly, these little tiny birds that, that God takes care of. They don't die of exhaustion. They don't stop. God takes care of the hummingbirds. Yes, some hummingbirds die. I get it. But not all of them. They're all there, right? God's taking care of the birds. Do they go hungry? No, not even across this 900, or excuse me, this 500-mile trip across the Gulf of Mexico. Well, that's fine and grand that God takes care of birds, but you didn't hear what the doctor said to me this week, right? Or you didn't hear what was going on or the layoffs that are coming or the talk around my office. Well, here's what Jesus said, okay? Matthew chapter 10, he says this, Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head have all been counted. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. You're worth more than many sparrows. How many of you guys actually know what a sparrow is? Like, ever, you, could you identify one in your yard? If you, once you start seeing them, they're everywhere. We found them dead in the yard where like the feral cats in the neighborhood have gotten a hold of them and stuff like that. You know what's crazy? God knew that that sparrow was going to get killed by that feral cat. But God doesn't just care about the birds. God's numbered every single hair on your head. Aren't you worth so much more than a sparrow? And yet the, the sparrows, they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, yet your Heavenly Father feeds them. So if God's going to take care of the birds of the air that, that just die off and you know they roost in the thousands in your trees as they migrate through, all that kind of stuff, if God's going to take care of these birds, then why can't we trust that God's going to take care of us? If God can do that, then why would I ever worry about that? All right, well, and then Jesus, that's why Jesus says, can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? I love this picture, right? There are other translations that, that say, hey, can you add one cubit to your height? A cubit is 18 inches. It's the end of your finger to the elbow, okay? So can any of you, by worrying, make yourself taller, okay? How many of you guys remember when you were growing and you wanted to be tall and, like, you tried to do something weird, like, you know, hang bricks off your feet and hang off a pull-up bar or something like that? Some of you guys are like, no, I'm so tall, I never had to do that. Of course you didn't. The reality is, though, no matter how hard you worry, you can't make yourself any taller. He says, you can't add a single moment to your life by worry. In fact, one of the things we know is worrying will take moments away from your life, right? Stress is one of the things that causes you to have heart attack and die. Some of you guys are worried I'm going to stroke out here in the pulpit. Like, I'm just going to, my, my brain just going to have an aneurysm just because, anyway. Stress is what does that. Stress shortens your life. So the more you worry, the more likely you are to die young. So in the midst of this, Jesus says, look, don't worry. God takes care of the birds. You can't add a single moment to your life. Well, yeah, but Sean, you don't understand. You, if you knew what was coming, if, if, you, if you saw the polls, if you... Okay, if you're not convinced, let's keep going. Here's what Jesus says. Look at verse 27. Can I add one more moment to his lifespan by, by worrying? 28. And why do you worry about clothes? 
Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of those. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown in the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? When I was in college, I had a friend who is a Van Wingerden. Some of you guys, most of you have no idea what that means. But the Van Wingerden family is one of these Dutch families that has done tremendously well in the flower business. Her uncle has a, uh, has a greenhouse in uh, central Virginia. In fact, actually, if you buy flowers from Kroger, they may have come from this greenhouse. Okay, Battlefield Farms is where it comes from. So when you walk into their greenhouse, now anybody that got a picture in your head of greenhouse, you're missing it. We had the privilege of going to their farm. They have 10 acres of glassed-in greenhouse, all under glass. When I got there, it was a few weeks before Mother's Day. So they have three acres of outside growing space where they finish the plants before they load them on the truck to take them out. When I walked out there, it was three acres of flocks. Okay? Now some of you guys don't know what flocks is. This is flocks. It is an absolutely beautiful flower. It's super bright when they start blooming. There's purples and pinks and maybe even some yellows. I can't even remember. But, but there was three acres of this stuff, almost as far as you could see. Now, how many of you gardeners know how long flocks blooms? Two weeks, at best. And then it turns into this tangled mess of green stuff, right? It's not pretty anymore once the blooms fall off. But for two weeks, if you drive through our neighborhood and you turn the corner up to our street, there's this little patch of flocks growing on the corner. For two weeks, you have this absolutely beautiful picture of God's provision and God's power and His majesty as this flower blooms. How much did you spend on flowers for your wedding, by the way? Some of you, it still hurts to think about how much you paid for your daughter's flowers, right? How long do they last? They're already dead when they cut them. They were gone the next day, hardly. Yet they were beautiful. If God makes flocks that's going to be gone in two weeks, beautiful. If God exercises that much care, that much concern over grass. I mean, look around, guys. The grass is drying off. It's turning brown. Everything's dying off for the winter. And yet God is the one who made grass have that smell that it does when it's cut. God's the one who made it where on an evening as you're looking at the sunset and you step back and look over a freshly mowed lawn, look how beautiful that is. Every bit of that beauty and all that care is in the God of the universe. And that stuff that's going to get cut up, thrown out, made in most at best, If God cares that much about little stuff like that, then how much more does God care about you? Like, do you realize God didn't have to make flowers smell good? He didn't. Like, it could have been that he made them just not have a fragrance and pollinators found them some different way. But instead, God made flowers so they have this beautiful aroma. Some of you say, yeah, it's real beautiful. Right? God didn't have to do that. But God, in His mercy, in His grace, in His care, in His love, even made flowers that are going to wilt in two days, smell good, and look powerfully beautiful. If God does that, 
then why do we think he's not going to take care of us? I mean, if God works so majestically for little tiny birds, if God works so majestically for stuff that's only going to be here a couple of weeks, I mean, have you ever looked at a house fly? They're ridiculous. They're hideous and ugly and they're gross. I get it. But think about the complexity of this tiny little house fly that's only going to live for a few days. And yet God built all of this. If God does that, then why do we think he's not going to take care of us? Do you think God knows what's going to happen the first week of November? Do you think God's able to sustain his people no matter who wins? Do you believe that God is able to take care of this pandemic? Do you believe that God's able to see us through whatever happens to the economy or whatever happens next? Do you believe that God can do those things? If he takes care of birds and if he can build this beauty into these flowers, then you have to trust that he can do the same in you. You don't have to worry about food or about clothing. By the way, I'm not saying you don't have to worry about what color your car is going to be. We're talking about food and clothes. Those are two of the fundamental things you need in life. Without clothes, you die of exposure. Without food, you die of starvation. And Jesus says, don't even worry about that because God's going to take care of it. Sean, how can you say that, though? It doesn't feel like God's doing that. I mean, I mean, aren't there Christians who die of starvation? Aren't there people who die of illnesses and, and things like that? Absolutely. But here's what we can trust in. When we're trusting in God's provision, remember that he has already provided for us the thing we needed most. So that's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Guys, listen. If God didn't provide us with a table full of cupcakes out here, and I never ate another meal, and I died in a week of dehydration and exhaustion, God would still be good. Why? Because, see, we're all going to die of something at some time. Every single person who's born is going to die. And the Bible says that after we die, we stand before God in judgment. And you and I don't have any hope in and of ourselves that we would be able to pass God's judgment because we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. We're all separated from Him. We're all dead in our trespasses and sins and completely without hope. So God gave us the one thing we really needed, which was His own Son to die in our place. So that now you and I could have spiritual life. We could live before God. And when I stand before God, instead of having to give an account for my sins, my sins have been paid for and covered, and I stand clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Not because I've been good, not because I'm a pastor, not because I yell a lot when I preach, not because of any of those things. I stand before God and I have nothing to offer Him except for the fact that I have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ by His grace and His goodness and His glory. So no matter what happens to us outside of that, He's already provided everything I need. 
by providing his son on the cross. That's why he could go ahead and say in Romans chapter 8, verse 38, he keeps going a few verses down to say, I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Whatever you think you need today, if you don't have Jesus, that's the only thing you need. That's where you need to start. Because see then, when you have a relationship with Christ that's based off of what Jesus has done for you, and you've surrendered to Him and said, God, I'm putting you in charge. You're in charge of my life. You're leading. It's it. When you've done that, then now you have the privilege of knowing that no matter what takes place, nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what am I going to worry about? What's going to happen? I'm going to die? Okay, I get to go be with Jesus. Guys, when we think about the fear and the anxiety of of what's going on around us with the pandemic and everything else, guys, as Christians, we need to be above this. I'm not saying we we need to be wise. We need to be incredibly wise. We need to be incredibly loving. We need to be incredibly tender. But guys, we can't give in to fear because we know who God is. We know the relationship we have with Him. We know what will happen to us when we die. And if you don't, Settle that before you walk out of this building today. So that then now I can say, you know what, God, I know you'll provide the food that you want me to have. I know you'll provide me with the clothes and everything else. I know that that's taken care of because you've already provided me Jesus. So that's how kingdom focus helps us kill worry. With that, though, you'll notice not only do we need to remember that God provides, we also, number two, need to take a step back and see the big picture. We need to take a step back and see the bigger picture. As we're looking at this this morning, I I hope that this is encouraging you. I know I'm yelling a lot. I don't usually yell quite this much. But look back at verse 25. Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Some of you live to eat, I know. You saw the Gigi's when you came in, and it's like, oh, this is bad news, man. The world around us would try to convince us that, that taking care of your food and your clothes, all that kind of stuff is all you need to do. Like, that that's, that's the most important thing, is to stay focused on what's happening right here, right now, all the time. But Jesus is calling us to take a step back, to get some detachment. That, that idea of detachment comes in handy. Um, if you've ever watched Band of Brothers, you know, Major Dick Winters, the, the 82nd uh, Airborne Division, Easy Company, one of the things he talked about was one of the battles they were in, they were really close to the line. He said, I had to take about 75 yards back from the line was as far away as I could get in this particular battle. But just that level of detachment was far enough away for me to be out of the front line to take a step back and take in what was going on so I could order our troops the direction we need to go. Guys, I think that's what we need to do. We need to take a step back. Take a step back off of Facebook. Take a step back off of Fox News. Take a step back off of whatever it is that you're listening to or watching and remember that there's more to life than this. Okay? Take a step back from your syllabus. Take a step back from everything that's there in Google Classroom. Take a step back from all those things and realize there is more than what is happening right here. That God created me for eternity. That I will be in his kingdom. Like, I don't know about you guys. 
we, we're not really big on dreams and visions and stuff as a church. We believe God's spoken through his word and that that's enough for us. And, and, and yet, as I, we were singing this morning, I love to imagine. I love to use my imagination. And as we were singing, I had this moment where I was imagining God's throne just sitting right here. And we were just right here around the throne, and we're singing in, in the presence of our enemies. We're raising a hallelujah, right? Forever, we're declaring that God is great, and, and just thinking about doing that in God's presence, right? We need to take a step back and realize this is not it. There, there's, there's a real God who really sits in heaven, and we're really going to be in his presence one day forever. And so what I'm doing in my, my life is not about me. At least it shouldn't be. I need to take a step back and say, you know what? I may not have all the food that I want, or I may be frustrated with what's going on. And, you know, maybe the roof is leaking, right? But maybe God's bringing that contractor to our house so that he can be around Christians and find out that we're not just weird so that he can get invited to church so he can hear that there's a God in heaven who loves him. Maybe that's what God's doing with my roof leaking. Mine's not, by the way. That's an example. And we rent, too, so if the roof was leaking, I get to call the landlord and say, hey, your roof's leaking. But what's God doing? Maybe that cancer diagnosis, maybe that financial difficulty is for you to be able to step up and say, God, I have no idea how you're going to work in this, but I'm going to trust you to do something through it. And here's the thing, guys. We've used this quote before. It's not going to be on the screen, but God is doing 10,000 things in your life at any given moment, and you might be aware of three of them. You and I may have no idea why things happen the way they do. But we need to step back and see the bigger picture and say, you know what, God, I'm surrendering my life to you. I'm trusting you. I'm asking you to lead me and guide me. So whatever happens today, I'm going to guess you're the one filtering it. I may not understand it. I may not see it, but I'm going to trust you. Because the bigger picture is there's a God who's working behind the scenes to build his kingdom on earth and it's incredible to be a part of it. He's involving you in his work. So we're trying to kill worry, guys. Remembering that he provides. You may not always be able to identify exactly what God's doing or why he's allowing a particular situation to take place. Keep in mind, like, you know, the book of Job is a great example for us. Job had everything taken from him in a matter of moments. His friends show up, and the, first, the best thing they did was that they were silent for like seven days, and they didn't say anything. As soon as they started opening their mouth, it got bad. And so they just fight back and forth. The majority of the book of Job is Job saying, I didn't do anything wrong, and his friends saying, obviously you did, and him saying, no, I didn't, yes, you did. Okay, that's your condensed Cliff Notes version of the majority of the book of Job. Then all of a sudden, God shows up. And when God shows up, he puts Job in his place. Eventually, Job repents. Job recognizes who God is. And you see God restore everything that Job had, and even double. <clears throat> Here's what's incredible. God never tells Job why that happened. There is never a moment in the book of Job where God explains to Job that the whole reason that this took place was because God was demonstrating his righteousness through Job's life and allowing Satan to take everything from him. God never tells Job that. So, my question is, if we're doubting, if we're running after food, clothes, and everything else, Jesus said, that's what the Gentiles do. Now, the Gentiles, remember, you had Jews, and you had everybody else was a Gentile. So, the, for us, the picture here is, that's what those who don't have Jesus as their Savior and Lord, who aren't in God's kingdom, 
They run after that stuff. That's not supposed to be us. We're not supposed to get caught up in this frantic nature. So how do we get out of that? Well, I'd encourage you to to write this reference down and memorize these verses, okay? Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. When you start feeling worry creeping in, okay? Here's where Paul says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Then he goes on, by the way, in, in verse 8, to give you some great things to focus on. This isn't going to be on the screen. But um, I memorized it out of the NIV when I was in high school. In fact, actually, it's a really cool story because my dad taught our youth group, and dad taught this lesson, and it stuck with me, and I've always remembered it. The, the sentence we learned was, the new rope, or the, excuse me, the new rope pulls Lisa along every path, Okay? Because the, in Philippians 4, 8, it says, Finally, my brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. So when worry starts to creep in, and I start to say, God, what happens if so-and-so wins the election? God, what happens if the stock market tanks? God, what happens if they go through another round of layoffs? God, what happens if this diagnosis comes back the way that I think it is? I stop those thoughts and say, you know what? I'm not going to worry. I'm going to pray. I'm going to lay this at God's feet. And then I'm going to say, all right, are these things true? Are they noble? Are they right? Are they pure? Are they lovely? Are they admirable? Are they excellent? Are they praiseworthy? And if they're not, I'm going to stop thinking about those things and start thinking about things that are true. You know what you can always go back to that's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy? That there's a God in heaven who loved you so much that he would send his own son to die in your place and to offer you his life in its place. So whenever you start feeling that worry, that anxiety start to creep in, stop it. Say, you know what? I'm not going to think about that. I'm going to focus on what's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. If you need to, make that almost a mantra. Like there's been times where I've had thought patterns in my head that I needed to get out. And so what you do, I just repeat that until I stop thinking the thing. True, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. In other words, if, if that doesn't work, start thinking, God, I know that you love me. I know that you saved me. I know that you died for me. I know that I'm accepted in Christ. I know that no matter what takes place, I'll be in heaven with you. I know you're involving me in your kingdom. I know these things are true. They're noble. They're right. They're pure. They're lovely. They're admirable. They're excellent. And they're praiseworthy. And that, you'll see, begins to kill worry as you cultivate a kingdom focus. You're going to step back and see the big picture. Jesus wraps all this up with a bow there in verse 34. I love the way he says it because it's almost kind of feels tongue-in-cheek, doesn't it? Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't borrow tomorrow's trouble. Don't worry about it. Because you know what's crazy? God's eternal. I believe that the Bible teaches us that God exists outside of time. That God interacts in time. But God himself is not constrained by time. If you want a headcanon to just kind of make your head explode for a while, try thinking about the fact that God is already present in tomorrow. And all your tomorrows. And all the tomorrows that will ever be. Because in his eternality existing outside of time, that means that today is just as real to God as tomorrow is, and tomorrow is as real as the next day and the next day and the next day. Because he doesn't experience them sequentially through time. I don't have the foggiest idea how that works because God's infinite and eternal and I'm not. But what I can rest in is that means that God is able, as Isaiah says, to declare the end of a thing from the beginning. 
from the very beginning of it, God knows how it's going to work out. I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about my job. I don't have to worry about my kids. I don't have to worry about my family. I don't have to worry about my finances. Now, I need to be wise. I need to be honoring him as a kingdom citizen, but I don't need to be worried. The Christian life is an incredibly free life if we can remember that we can remember that God's provided and we can step back from that constant, you need this right now, right here, and see the bigger picture that God's working throughout history to build his kingdom. Now, last week I mentioned to you Daniel had played a song during the kind of response time that we had. I'm going to ask whoever's coming to do the invitation this morning to come on up. It's a little song called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Very simple lyrics. It says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of God's glory and grace. So the idea is when you and I look at Jesus and make him our focus and get our eyes off of what's happening now, that as we do that, everything else kind of fades away. We seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. And all these things will be added to us, as he says here in verse 33.